0: Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, My nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it.
1: All right, hello, and welcome back to to another episode of the chase Thomas podcast where i'm still the aforementioned chase i coming going to you live from knoxville tennessee everything school hq also here of not fangraphs.com although we are always friends of fangraphs.com up there in new york city john taylor john good evening sir how are you
2: i am doing all right here in new york where it's cold it's mm. february where we're in the midst the depths of the sports free or at least the sports light period of the calendar where it's really mm-hmm. just, uh, the NBA and college basketball and everyone else is just kind of starting to gear up, but nothing else. Spring training is here. We, mm-hmm. we finally get our blurry photos and, uh, poorly timed and edited videos. Uh, you know, Bob Nightingale just spent the last <laughs> month practicing by taking out of focus shots of his family and his friends and birds mm-hmm. that he sees in his backyard. But, um, Get excited, you know, unless you're Blake Snell or Jordan Montgomery or Cody Bellinger or Matt Chapman, in which case you're just sitting by your phone being like, "Okay, when do I get to go to work? I would like to go to work now.
1: Yeah, Manfred, I think, was talking about this this week of just being able to institute a uh, free agent signing period that that should have happened years ago. Like we should actually
2: require teams to make these signings by a certain point. So, I will respectfully disagree uh, in the mindset of I think signing periods. Well, and let me say, as a former editor, former baseball uh, sports journalism guy, I professionally would have welcomed a free agency signing period where we would have just known, hey, in the span of one week, everything's done. Mm. Although, having watched uh, when I was at Sports Illustrated, having watched our NBA editors and writers have to go through everyone's signs in three days.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: that 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 part doesn't seem like fun just having to churn out thousands and thousands of word of copy like all at once um my big issue with that from a labor perspective is obviously it is a manipulation of the free agent market in so far as you are arbitrarily and artificially cutting off uh or shortening the period of free agency so to speak so that players lose out on the ability theoretically to get better deals if they basically are told, Hey, you've got five days to find a team. If you don't get the offer you like tough crap, you got to sign anyway. Mm. I don't think that's, I, I don't, I think that's one inviting uh, collusion, whether it be overt or, or, or sub Rosa from owners and from front offices to artificially depress the value of, of free agents and allow, and, you know, get, essentially get forced them to sign uh, lower value contracts and what they're worth. Um, that, that just, that just doesn't strike me as right. And I don't know. I, I, I also like to a certain degree, the idea that maybe not like, but I also, it, there's that flexibility too, I think of, you know, if something happens to a player of yours, like let's say, and I, I'll, I'll go to the, the Aaron Boone, Arod example. That was a trade, not a free agent signing, you know, Aaron Boone blowing out his knee. And I think it was, uh, late January of whatever year the A-Rod in 2004, uh, which the Yankees followed up by trading for A Rod after the Red Sox uh, famously were not able to. Again, trade not a signing, but in that similar vein, like if something happens to your roster over the course of the offseason, if a player gets hurt or if you, you know, something opens up trade wise, I like that there's flexibility to then be able to go into the free agent market if need be and be like, hey, things have changed for us. Now we can add you. Like, take, right, let's let's take a more current example. The Orioles have learned that Kyle Bradish is going to be out indefinitely with a sprain in his UCL, which is a small tear. He'll get a platelet-rich plasma injection, try to rehab without going under the knife, obviously, because going under the knife would require probably season-ending surgery, if not Tommy mm. John. Um, you know, if there were a free agency signing period, there are no starters left. Well, tough tough luck for the Orioles. They can't add a starter unless they make a trade. However, it with free agency still being open and with players like Jordan Montgomery and Blake Snell not being signed the Orioles have an opportunity, should they so should they choose to pursue it, to add an impact starter, I'd arguably even better than Braddish is, just more expensive, uh, so that their roster doesn't get significantly hurt by this move. So I, I think just from that perspective, and those two perspectives alone, I think I'd rather just keep free agency the way it is. Um, I also think it's rather disingenuous of Rob Manfred to suggest that a free agency signing period is the solution, when part mm. of the problem here is that and 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 this and I guess this is maybe maybe part of a bigger Manfred conversation since he officially announced that he is retiring after the end of his uh, next and what will be his last term, so he'll be out in twenty twenty nine. How but old will he be? Seventy at that point, which I think I, I... I love that sports, by the way, has figured this out, but politics has not.
1: Like, yeah, Green we're... Bay Packers is like you're out at seventy. That's like a, a bylaw. Uh, Mark Murphy has to be out at a certain. Uh, I think it's 70 for him. So yeah. he'll be retiring in the next couple of years and you got Manfred retiring. It's like, Oh, we figured out like, yeah, this is not uh,
2: look. Yeah. Meanwhile, just, our, meanwhile, our presidential election is between two mm. men who were born around the second world war, which yep. is super if you really think about it. Um, but Manfred, I think, you know, in his time as commissioner has created a, a, a universe, let's call it, or, or, or a, or a has created a, a league or has overseen a league where owners no longer feel any pressure, uh, be it owners for an office both to improve their teams through free agency. He's overseen mm-hmm. a period of free agency retrenchment and it should be no surprise that his solution to a an almost entirely self-created problem is, well, why don't we make free agency shorter and even more restricted? I mean, this is the kind of suggestion you get from the commissioner of baseball because the commissioner of baseball represents the owners he is picked by the owners he is approved by the owners he is effectively they are effectively his 30 headed boss um and as such he is always going to defend their interests advocate for their interests and it is extensively in the interest of ownership to spend less money in free agency and to have players lose financial leverage in the process. So mm. I, I can't really it, it's almost it's perfectly fitting to me that in in the same press conference where Rob Manfred announces that he is going to be done as commissioner after his next term, that he's also out here advocating for stuff that hurts baseball's labor pool and ultimately will probably make for a worse product, because I think mm. by and large, um, with the notable exception of the pace of play initiatives, which I think have been a very uh, probably. If, if you want to talk legacy, that's probably Rob Manfred's most positive legacy is, is pace of play stuff. I think Manfred on the whole has been a terrible commissioner for the sport, one who has consistently uh, prioritized profit and financial gain ahead of the well-being of the game, the well-being of the sport, uh, the well-being of really the everything connected to baseball. I think you saw that most obviously during the lockout, uh, during the last CBA negotiations, which was a disaster from start to finish almost largely thanks to Manfred and the intransigence of owners uh, and making it particularly making that fight far, far nastier than it ever had to be. Um, which goes, which goes, I think perfectly in hand with his kind of peevish, unhappy mood and tone that just kind of pervades everything he does. Like we, the, the joke, but it's not, I don't think it's really a joke is that Rob Manfred just doesn't really like baseball, you know? And I think, Most of what he's done, even the pace of play stuff, I think suggests that the sport as he inherited it was one that he just really had no interest in to say nothing of, you know, it seems like in his mind, his primary goal was make more money for the sport. In that vein, he was a, he was a success. Baseball's revenues continue to go up. Uh, The values of franchises are staggeringly high. I mean, the Orioles just sold or sold for uh, just a quarter of a billion shy of $2 billion. Um, You know, the, uh, The A's, assuming this absolutely haunted, cursed Vegas move ever happens, obviously that's going to be a financial windfall for the owners. Expansion, which was a big priority of Manfred's and which I imagine he will dedicate a lot of his remaining time to once the A's situation is settled, is going to be a financial windfall for owners. The sale of BAM Tech, which I believe was very early in his tenure. Um, All of this stuff has been geared toward making the league more money. The problem is it's come at the expense of things like competitiveness, or in the case of the A's situation, just simple, appreciable logic and decency to a fan base that has just been getting screwed six ways from Sunday by an owner who has no interest whatsoever in fielding a competitive team, no interest whatsoever in stab- in maintaining a relationship uh, with the city where the team is. And is basically just using that team to soak an entire state and city out of money to line his own pockets. And I think that's, that's Manfred in a nutshell. The Vegas... The the Oakland-Vegas A's debacle, and that's what it is. It's a, it's a debacle. It is an embarrassment for the league from start to finish. Really, I think, neatly sums up Rob Manford because ostensibly the commissioner of baseball should be there to step in for the good of the sport and say, hey, listen, I don't think it's in the best interest of baseball, the sport, for an owner... To put no effort into into his into maintaining a competitive team, to spend nothing on its roster, to antagonize the fan base, to antagonize the city officials and and state officials who are in charge of you know essentially extracting money from him in exchange for being able to play in that place, you know you can't just flee to another city and try to you know, try to take the money out of an, out of another uh, out of another state, sell the team. It is in mm. it is in the best interest of baseball that the Oakland A's, one, don't go to Las Vegas, but two, be in the hands of someone who actually cares about the Oakland A's and not just their bank account. You know, you could argue that that's the case for a dozen other teams in baseball as well, where owners have just been allowed to putz around and, you know, do as they feel and, and, and you know, steal essentially as much money as they can from fans in exchange for non-competitive baseball. You know, it, it's... It's so typical of Manfred. Something else we're going to talk about, or at least thinking about talking about today, with the with the new jerseys from Nike and Fanatics. Yeah. Another pitch-perfect example of what I assume, and I, this is a, feels like a pretty safe assumption, the league not really caring that these jerseys are, by the estimation of every players, put them on, crap, and by the estimation of fans looking at them, crap, because it makes money at the end of the day. Because they have a nice, fat contract with Nike and an even nicer, fatter one with Fanatics. Well, Rob Manfred doesn't give two craps with the he's He's going to go out there and defend them, which is what he did in his press conference. He said, oh, I think, you know, we're actually going to find that these jerseys are better. Come on, man. Who, like, the only force he cares to represent is money, is capital, is ownership. That is all Rob Manfred stands for. And I have no faith whatsoever that the next commissioner will be any better because the next commissioner will also be chosen by the owners and approved by the owners and will be their PR person, attack dog, uh you know lead counsel all of the above, but rob manfred I don't rob manfred inherited baseball and I don't think he left it in a better place um you know there's again pace of play stuff some other smaller things around the margins I think you know are are positives in his on or a bit long in the positive column for him, but otherwise I you know I, I I can't say it's been a particularly successful run for Rob manfred I this doesn't even include all the covid season stuff, which was a, yeah granted. Every professional league handled the COVID, the, the first year of the pandemic, about as awfully as possible. But, you know, we're only talking about Rob Manfred here, and I thought that was yet another instance where he fell flat on his face in terms of trying to balance the safety and health and well-being of fans and players versus the need to make money, you know? And, and as, as I've, you know, said a million times, the need to make money is and the desire to make money is what won out time and time again with Rob Manfred. And, you know, to that degree uh good riddance pack watch rip bozo whatever it is the gen z kids say when someone is and granted 2029 which we all know is not a real year because none of us are going to be left to see it but Mm -hmm. i I did find it funny that rob manford did not announce that there will be a new commissioner he just said i'm done in 2029 because he knows that the world's ending before then at some point so if we make it that far that's great but um but yeah i i i think that's so indicative of rob manford that he spends that press conference doing stuff like defending the crappy jerseys nobody likes and insisting that the problem with baseball is not that owners won't spend it to make their teams better but that actually free agency takes too long and we should make it shorter you know it's that's manfred in a nutshell right there go baseball go baseball um
1: john taylor we'll go back to the jerseys in a little bit but in a happier note potentially yes. the giants They did something. They signed Jorge Soler, who hit a lot of dingers last year, hit some big dingers a couple years back for the Braves in their World Series run. Um, When you think about Jorge Soler, what he ultimately got from the Giants and where he fits in in San Francisco, is this a sneaky, good late offseason signing for the Giants? And are you pretty optimistic that this will be uh, something that's uh, a relationship that's fruitful for both sides here?
2: I think it's a good signing for San Francisco, and I think it should work out for both sides. I don't really think, it, I don't think it's enough, though, for the Giants. I mean, on the positive side, to, to, to talk about what Solaire brings, right-handed power, which that team so desperately, desperately needs. You know, aside from, you know, J.D. Davis and Wilmer Flores, there's not really much in the way – there wasn't really much pre solaire in the way of right-handed power in that lineup, and J.D. Davis and Wilmer Flores barely count as much. Mm. Uh, one player hit more than 20 home runs for the, for the San Francisco Giants last year. Wilmer Flores with 23. Nobody else cracked that. One of the worst power hitting teams in baseball last year. Soler, all he does is hit for power. On the other hand, all he does is hit for power. There is nothing else of value in in Jorge Soler as a player. He is a brutal defender, uh, one of the worst in baseball, who can barely be trusted to stand in the outfield and do things properly. Um, He has no value on the bases. He's not a good base runner. He's not fast. Um, He is just a big, hulking, right-handed slugger who also struggles with injury issues and when he is not hitting is borderline unplayable. And that's not all that un uh, unrecent. That's not all that long ago that Jorge Soler was a non-valuable player. You know, last year of really good season obviously a 361 weighted on base average, 126 wrc plus, uh, you know, 36 home runs for the Marlins, pretty impressive. Here his wrc plus figures in the 3 years prior. 95, 100, 107. Again, mm. It doesn't take, you don't have to go back very far. You don't have to go back more than even a year to see a version of Jorge Soler that brings absolutely nothing to the table, you know, aside from too many strikeouts and nowhere to play him aside from the DH spot. But again, San Francisco badly needs the right handed power. Soler was pretty much the best bet on the market, with the exception, I think, of Chapman. But I also imagine that the Giants are, well, I, I in thinking about that now, part of the problem with signing Soler is if you've blocked off DH, if you want to sign Chapman, well, what are you going to do with JD Davis? Who again is one yeah. of the other good right-handed power bats? You know, I you're not gonna, you're gonna, if you're signing Matt Chapman, you're gonna start him at third base, but then where are you putting Davis? You know, he he can't play second, he can't play short, you know. Maybe you stick him at first base in a kind of platoon with Lewis, the Lamonte Wade, but either way, we'll see what the Giants do after this. But I think that's part of the problem is this is not a this is not enough alone. You know, this is a good addition. It helps them in an area where they need it but it doesn't particularly move the needle. Um, this is still what looks like a 500 team right now. You look at, you know, by our playoff odds, we have the Giants somewhere around 25%. It's about the same as the Mets, the Marlins, the Padres, somewhere in that actually 25 to 30% range, and the mid-tier NL Central teams. You know, that's not a great place to be if you're a would-be contender. You know, you have a lot of teams theoretically in front of you. Uh, you don't have very high of a ceiling, and I think that's, that's the case even with not to worth, worth noting, too, when we talk about Solaire. He is 31 years old and he's going to turn 32 in about two weeks.
1: Mm. You know,
2: there's nothing coming but downward slope for Soler. This is, I think, a risky contract in that regard. Again, it's what the Giants needed, but they need more than this. And, you know, if you're a Giants fan, I I think you're you're not necessarily, you don't hate this move, but you're really feeling like, is that all we're going to do? You know, that and Jung Ho Lee is a good signing, too. But again, that's, you know, that's from the left side. He's not much of a power hitter. I don't know. I, I, I just I struggle how to see how this Giants team is gonna score runs even with Soler on board. Um like I said, I I think at the end of the day there's still a five hundred team, and I I don't know if he moves the needle particularly much uh away in that or up in that direction, better said.
1: Yeah. I look, hey, it I think it's the Giants, I think if you're this is gonna sound kinda sad, but if you're a Giants fan, you're just so burned. By the last couple of off seasons, and just yeah. not getting anyone, you're just like, hey, it's nice to get someone who we know is going to be pretty solid, hit a lot of home runs for us. We've been trying, like, it's like you're realistic, like it's not your first choice, but Jorge Solaire will be fine. Like, it, it's just a competent body who's going to hit home runs in the middle of the order. Like, yeah. it just hey, it, the Giants just got someone to come to San Francisco. Grant Brisby, the the plan worked. The photos worked. Jorge Soler signed with the San Francisco Giants. Um. This is going to happen, it seems like, John Taylor. But do you think it's a good idea for the White Sox to keep Dylan Cease and make him their opening day starter going into 2024?
2: I mean, in the – from well, there are two ways to look at it. One is that it makes sense to keep Cease if you want to put an entertaining product on the field. If the goal of the Chicago White Sox is to play competitive, like functional baseball, Dylan Cease helps them in that regard. Mm. But on the other hand, this White Sox team is awful with Dylan Cease. They'll be awful without Dylan Cease. And after this season, he's got one year of team control left. And, you know, unless something goes absolutely wackadoodle in the minors for the White Sox this season, or they go into next offseason ready to spend like $200 million or a billion dollars or something, Mm. you know, that this team is not going to be notably better next season either. You know, this is for the foreseeable uh, future a below or certainly below 500 but a rebuilding team and if that's the case then I don't really know what the point of keeping cease is particularly since and you know this being the case always the earlier you trade someone like that the more the better return you're going to get because the team acquiring him obviously is going to want as much uh, cost control overseas as possible before he goes to free agency so mm-hmm. and look Chicago is in a bad position obviously um, but there's, there is some light, theoretically, at the end of a rather distant tunnel. You know, the Fangraph's top 100 prospects just came out today. They've got four players on that top 100, uh, led by Colson Montgomery, and he was 13th overall on the list. Very impressive. Pro- but the problem with that, though, is to a certain degree, you know, Montgomery, is in- Montgomery made it to A last year. He's probably not going to get up till 2025, because there's- there's- understandably like, there's no reason for the White Sox to rush him this year. Uh, you know, there are other three top 100 prospects, Noah Schultz, who was a 2022 draft pick out of a, out of high school. That's a guy you're probably not going to see for at least two or three more years. Uh, Brian Ramos, an international signing out of Cuba, more likely than not that that's maybe late 2024, but more realistically 2025. Uh, and then Edgar Cuero, the catcher they got in the Lucas Giolito trade with the angels, you know, again, a guy who you're probably, you know, it's a 21 year old catcher, another foreign signing who's has reached his highest level as double-A. You know, that's another guy where you're probably not, and given especially catchers take longer to develop, that's another guy you're probably not going to see till 2025. So unless the White Sox have serious confidence that Montgomery, Ramos, and Cuero alone, plus maybe a guy like Schultz uh, developing faster than expected, and some, like I said, things have to go pretty, pretty good in the minors for the White Sox to be in a position where the 2025 team is actually ready to contend in any fashion. Um, I put the odds of that around, like, Five percent, probably less than that. You know, it, so if that's that being the case, it doesn't really make sense to keep cease. This is, you know, even with four top one hundred prospects, this is still a pretty meager farm system. Um, any help that they can get uh, from outside the organization is obviously good. You know, you trade cease at some point now, na- or you trade cease now, you're gonna get the best prospect return possible. Do I trust the White Sox to evaluate the prospect return correctly? That's a whole other problem. However, in the interest of maximizing uh, contention down the road, they probably do need to move him, and that sucks for White Sox fans. Cease is just about see him and Luis Robert are the only things or the only players worth watching on this team to any real degree. You know, it's a real shame that this is how things are likely going to play out. But on the other hand, th- I mean, the White Sox only have themselves to blame. You know, well, they have Jerry Reinsdorf to blame and Rick Hahn to blame, but they wasted utterly the last five to six years of their original rebuild, uh that just completely did not work. So here we are in a, in a place where they're going to have to do a rebuild yet again. And I think that is going to have to involve trading seas
1: They're just not going to do it right now. And I just, you're, you're just kind of like pitchers are just, you never know, man with the injuries and everything else that like, I just don't know if Dylan sees
2: value and trade value is ever going to be as high as it is right now. That's the other part of it is that, you know, I mean, if you're the white Sox, maybe you can see, okay, let's, Let's let him pitch and see if you know he can't look if he can't perform better than he did last year, which is a pretty up and down season for Cease. But one, I think that volatility is baked in for the acquisition. When other teams are talking about trading for him, like they know he's not exactly the most stable of pitchers, unless you're like you know a team like you know Houston or Minnesota or or the Yankees or whoever get their hands on him or the Dodgers. Um, boy, the Dodgers drinking for him would be the funniest damn thing. Just build a build a whole rotation out of Cy Young winners, but. Um, on the other hand, it increases the odds Cease get, gets hurt if Cease comes mm. out and performs poorly again. His value goes down, and again, like I already said, teams want to teams want to get the most control out of him as they as possible. They any team that is going to acquire him is almost certainly going to want him before the season starts. Um, I think there's a chance Cease could last until the All Star break if the White Sox are really determined to try to up his value by having him pitch a good half season. But the other side of that is he's going to be pitching for a losing team. With a bad defense, like I, I don't really see how that helps anyone to have him go, you know, go out there, you know, once every five nights and, you know, and and lose all over the place, even though even if it's obviously not his fault. So I, I agree with you. His value is never going to be higher than it is right now. If the White Sox are serious about getting the most they can for him, they need to move him ideally before the end of spring training.
1: And we'll see. Maybe it's one of those where a team, uh, another big time arm goes down and they have to scramble a little bit and they're like, "Okay, I guess we'll trade for Dylan Cease now. And maybe part of it is like the team, the trade market is 100% where they want it because Blake Snell hasn't signed and Jordan Montgomery hasn't signed. And maybe this trade
2: happens after those two are off the market. That's also a possibility, right? Seriously, I think I would guess that the White Sox are probably waiting for Snell and Montgomery to sign. But I mean, mm-hmm. already, you know, we just mentioned the Orioles with Kyle Bradish, there's a team right then and there that could easily use Cease. I don't know if they want to expand. They already the did with Burns though. That was it. They're they're done. That's we what know figured, the Baltimore Orioles are done. I think the Orioles are way more likely to go up to a guy like Snell and be like, You wanna just take like three years and ninety million dollars and then try again yeah. a little later or something? Or, you know, some some deal with like a year or two opt out or something, but Either the longer play. this
1: goes, the more I worry about the Dodgers getting him on a one year, just like
2: you can go back in the market next year, just a one year crazy deal. What a crazy idea that the Blake Snell coming off a Cy Young award would have to take essentially a one year make good contract so we can try again next offseason. But, but no, I will say Blake Snell is the ultimate
1: player. one if I'm a GM, like if I was talking to like a because there uh, there's a lot of super smart GMs and I would love to pick the ran on this show, John. But like I imagine Blake Snell is one of those for most GMs in the sport that has got to be one where you're just like pacing around your house at night. Like,
0: no, he's a,
2: he's a Cy Young, but also this. And you know what I mean? I can't imagine the sheer, like whoever signs him is going to be developing an ulcer a day for the next like three (laughs) months, just worrying hideously about how that's going to age. But no, I, I, Mm -hmm. I think it's most likely that once Montgomery and Snell are both off the board, that a cease trade becomes more, more likely because at that point, there really are no other options left. You know, those those no. two are the best starters left on the market by miles and miles and miles. You know, at that point, if you're a contender and you still need an arm, it's cease or bust.
1: Cease or bust. Cease and
2: desist on the Dylan well, trademark. You, you know that the post and the the daily news are rooting so hard for cease to end up on the Mets or Yankees mm-hmm. just so they can make as many cease pun headlines as possible. You you just oh. know that. A
1: hundred percent, a hundred percent. John, let's go back to what people are mad about. Everyone's mad about the jerseys. Like we're, yeah. th- I mean, it's not even one of those where sometimes it's like, oh, it's subjective. Like it, it's okay. This is like subjectively, objectively bad, and they fans hate terrible. them.
2: Like terrible. Like they all look, players are just they, the 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 one. I know everyone said it, but they really do look like the kind of jerseys you would get as a giveaway. That they're not even a giveaway mm-hmm. for like adults, but a giveaway for like kids for like 13 and under. Yeah. The, the, like in it's already a bad sign if you can see the bad quality without even touching it, getting close mm-hmm. to it, being physically in the same area. But more than anything, you just you listen to the players and it's just clear that they hate this thing. You You had
1: a player go to Manfred, I think, right? And some went to the Players Union. You've got them going to like with all the problems with Major League Baseball at all times. Players like to get them so focused where they're like, "This needs to get fixed now." Like we we're spring training is about to start. Their focus is on. Their job, like they are transitioning, and they can't focus on. There's a player who could not focus on his job today, where he's like, "Nope, gotta go." I my mind's elsewhere. This, these jerseys are not going to work. We've we've got to do something right now.
2: Like, yeah, the the blowback. I we've never seen anything like this in the sport. It's it's really funny. Like it, it feels so major league baseball somehow that the big.
0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash spoken today. This
2: controversy and scandal in the sport right now is the the New Jersey suck um also, also how did they not let the
1: players try these on or like shouldn't have this like to do something of this magnitude why would you not get input from the players before you that's, make this move? that's
2: the rob Manfred part of it right yeah. is that they that he you know and the owners at large do not care what the players think want yeah. need any of that the players are just cogs to them mm. in this case it's listen take the crappy jerseys we have too <laughs> much at stake with nike and fanatics turn around now you gotta just wear them sorry to say nothing of how disrespectful it is to the fans to be like, "Hey, when you when you fork over hundred forty nine ninety nine to Fanatics, mm-hmm. this is the crap you're going to get in return." Yeah. and you should grant it. You should know that when you buy from Fanatics, um, the, the, not like, a sponsor
1: I, doesn't seem like
2: it's on its way to being a sponsor on this show. John Taylor, continue. <laughs> um, I was going to say, I'm just cutting your deal opportunities left and right. But Fanatics, a well known purveyor of absolute garbage, um, mm-hmm. poor quality merchandise, shoddy uh inattent like no attention to detail no attention to to care what is it any surprise at all that when nike hands over the keys to making the jerseys to fanatics that the jerseys immediately become noticeably worse this is i mean this is a bigger thing obviously beyond baseball at this point because you know fanatics has their their uh, greasy fingers in every single major sport at this point i think the only one they I I know they're NFL, I know they're their NHL, they make the NHL jerseys too which apparently have, have gone down in quality significantly. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know if they're involved in the NBA. I don't know if they do NBA merchandising as well, but um for sure baseball obviously MLB is in their is in their pocket and it it's it's one of those deeply frustrating things about like living in in our current era that this company is so bad. At the single job they have, and yet no one will or can do anything about it. And it's just us, the consumer, that just gets stuck with a poorly made, crappy product because, well, the deal's already been made, and thirty billionaires have decided that they're happy with it as is because they're not buying the jerseys, they don't care. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not wearing them. What do they give a crap if they feel weird or if they if the lettering looks amateurish? Like, who gives a crap? It's more money in their pocket, so. You know, it, it's so perfectly emblematic, it's emblematic, not just of Rob Manfred as a commissioner, but American society as a whole right now that this is that this is the case. It's just here is this substandard product that was that was put together with no thought or care whatsoever. Have fun. Like, you know, it, are we going to fix them? Absolutely not. In fact, <laughs> Rob Manfred is going to get up in front of the press and say, actually, I think they're better than you think mm-hmm. this is gonna straight up lie about it or at the very least a uh, cape for an organization or or better said company that does not deserve that level of defense at, at any point but th- and, and you th- can't th-
1: fix it that's the sad part i think if you're a fan or you're a player right now it's like you can complain this that and the other it's not going to change anything like no, these are here to stay
2: yeah because it, like fanatics has wiped out the merchandising market so totally that they're more or less the only game left in town it is obviously Nike has obviously calculated that it is more cost efficient to them to hand over production of the jerseys to Fanatics than to do it themselves, mm-hmm. and MLB doesn't care so long as the check's clear. You know that that is the most important thing to them is that the is that the agreement, the contracts they signed with Nike and with Fanatics, the money still comes in. What do they give a crap if the quality of the of the product is worse? You know what are you going to do? Go to the other major ba- major league baseball and and go and go root for those teams? It, it's just one perpetual. You don't like it? Tough titty. Like that. That is, that is the central issue. I think with with the Rob Manfred uh, uh, tenure administration, whatever you want to call it, is just no care whatsoever to the issues that the fans and the players put in front of them. It's just no. But this is making us money, so that's your problem now. You just got to deal with it. To say nothing of I mean, again, it, it's so obvious. It's so obvious when you contract fanatics that this is what's going to happen. Yeah, they've never. I just didn't won-
1: think we. Nobody uh, thought it was going to be this bad, though. Like the yep. universal blowback. Like, I didn't think the jerseys would be this bad. I mean, they look bad immediately. And you just look at the back and you look at the names, you look at the stitching, you look Every at decision. and they just changed weird stuff too, where you're like,
2: why the, the MLB logo moving from above the neckline to below mm-hmm. is one of the things I cannot begin to understand why you would do that, because it so obviously screws up the amount of space you have to put a name on the back of the jersey. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense whatsoever. Why would yeah. you do that? Like why? There, there's just no point. Again, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not Paul Lucas, I'm not one of I'm not a uniform like obsessive who can you know, like someone was pointing out that like the plackets on the uniforms are different and I was like I don't that's not a word. That's not a real word. <laughs> you made that word up. Use real words when you're talking about this stuff. Like mm-hmm. I don't understand any of like this the specific, you know, again, industry stuff as to how like how this jersey is put together or why or what exactly the changes are, but again, like you said, you can just see it. It just mm-hmm. looks worse, and it's really hard to understand why. Because what is the trade off that we're getting? Yeah. Supposedly the jerseys are supposed to be more better to wear when you're, you know, playing because they're more they're lighter and they're more you know more. Uh, they're not as I guess they're not as heavy as the old jerseys are. But like, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't recall hearing players complain about that ever. No. that's why i
1: love the george costanza thing like this is a george costanza story like this is a seinfeld story. like the cotton jerseys and everything that's what this feels like we're in a we're in a tv show this isn't real who was complaining about this what player was like hey can you change this up for us was there there was no group of players
2: asking for this this was not a complaint this this only happened because nike and fanatics wanted it to happen and again major league baseball is like you want that to happen okay it'll be x amount of dollars and mm-hmm. that was and once the, again, once that check cleared, Major League Baseball was like, all right, great. Do whatever you want. We don't care. Just let us know when they're here. Yeah. It's honestly kind of amazing that like we haven't seen a misspelled jersey yet. Again, I That's would... the fanatics promise is that you are not going to get accuracy in anything you order. So, you know, it's I, I'm waiting, especially when like who who is the player with the hardest name to spell in Major League Baseball?
1: I could just. It's good that Grinky's not back because Grinky. Yeah, would be spelled that would definitely
2: wrong. Be a right yeah, yeah,
1: I could do that, no question. Um, I mean, Mikolas was a tough one. Who I thought when I that one was uh popping up for the Cardinals. Um, the top of my head, I'm trying to think who would be. who
2: um, oh, Descolfini. Yeah, that's gonna. I I, I guarantee. I guarantee we're And this is this, the thing is, this is also obviously going to be an ongoing problem. Oh yeah. It's not just that they look bad. It's a, again, the fanatics is involved. There are going to be misspellings. There are going to be a uh, team and player names that are just like visibly off center or where the kerning is, is all wrong. Um, They're going to be probably letters coming off of jerseys. but they look like, they look like iron ons. Mm. You know, they don't look like they've been stitched at, really at any yeah. point. Like, you they look fake. Things. They look like they were they made like by the... Yeah, they look like bootlegs. They look like knockoffs. Yes. Um, and you know that it's not just that they look like them, because if they look like them, they're probably also going to perform like them. These are not mm-hmm. going to be quality jerseys. I guarantee that this is going to be a, a recurring issue throughout spring training, is players telling reporters, these jerseys are absolutely terrible. We do not want to wear them. What, yeah. what do they think is going to happen the first time Chris Sale gets his hands on one of these? It's going to make confetti out of the damn thing.
1: Well, also, you get to make fun of your friends who buy these jerseys. Folks, sorry if you didn't get a jersey before the end of last season
2: and you buy yeah, one know. post. We get to make fun of you. What a sorry. kick in the ass if, you, mm-hmm. if you've if you been saving up for a jersey and now this is what you get. Just cheap looking imitation stuff. It, it's ridiculous. It's, it's yeah. again, one of those things so emblematic of the Rob Manfred experience is just, how little care, how little attention seems to have been paid to the stuff that happens on the field or the part the stuff that is actually um, crucial to baseball being done or so little mm-hmm. care and attention being paid to what fans want or what the fans like or what is, you know, the people who take money out of their pockets and put it into Major League Baseball. The whole reason this whole thing happens, you know, to say, OK, now you just get crappy jerseys now. You want to return yeah. it? Well, too too bad. There's one jersey manufacturer now. Sorry. Like, That's just what you're stuck with. That stinks. It, it's so it's it's so unfair to, to the players and the fans both that, that this is the route MLB went. And again, you know it's going to continue to be a problem. You know they're going to eventually have to do something about it. They're going to look even worse and dumber once these mistakes start cropping up, particularly in, in actual games that matter, which, I mean, the uniforms aren't going to make a real difference there, but like this is going to get worse the more that these uniforms are seen and put into the public spotlight. And,
1: and we're also just going to be
2: annoyed by it, right? Like I'm going to be annoyed seeing this on Braves games. Like it's just going to, it's going to annoy me. Like, I I don't like that. It's going to annoy me every game. They're just, they look cheap. They look bad. And it makes the whole, it makes the whole thing look, it makes it, they look cheap and bad. And it makes MLB look cheap and bad by extension. And that just shouldn't happen. You, you are a $15 billion a year revenue league. You mm-hmm. really can't do better jerseys than like what you'd find at like, you know, on Canal Street. Come on, man. <sighs>
1: um, John. Yes. Maybe happier news, depending on who makes this trade. Um, now that we talked last week about Altuve now being a Astro for life, what we talked about for the last year is like the Astros were ultimately going to have to pick between these two and who they were going to sign to the long term deal. And who was going to be an Astro outside of their prime. Now that Altuve has been the pick, Mm -hmm. Does it make more sense to trade him now before the season? Just trade him for as much as you can. See what the trade market is for him or to do. Hey, let him play out like you've done for guys in the past and let them go off, get the compensatory pick and all that. But is there part of you that thinks the Astros should seriously consider trading Bregman now that you've locked in uh, Jose Altuve for the long term?
2: No, not, there's okay. 0.0000000000, like, forever percent chance of that happening. Um, not
1: if it's going to happen, because I don't think it's going to happen either. But should they explore it because they've no, made I, their internal choice?
2: Unless they get... And the, the reason that, that I say no is I, there's no way they get back a player of equal or greater value yeah. for where they are currently in their contention cycle, which is say they are a full-on contender there's yeah. no way, shape, or form they get anyone back for Bregman, who's going to be as valuable to that team as Bregman is right now. Um, so there's
1: not a Matt Olson trade for them in a way. No, you where know, no, the Braves I, I, immediately plug in Matt Olson for free that. Tournament.
2: That's the thing. It's like you would have had to. It's either you you trade Bregman and you make a cheaper deal with Matt Chapman and hope that he hmm. can give you seventy five percent of the value for. Well, but the other thing is, like, Bregman is going to play this season on uh, – this is his last year of team control. Obviously, arbitration – did he – I can't remember if he agreed to – okay, he's going to play this season uh, for $30.5 million. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Chapman is not going to get $30 million a year. More likely not, he ends up somewhere in that, like, 18 to 22 range. So, granted, you save, like, 10 or so million dollars right there plus whatever you would have paid Bregman over the course of the, of the uh, you know, the sex seven or eight years he's going to look for versus a much shorter deal for Chapman. But I mean, that's a, such a risky strategy because it's an obvious downgrade to go from Bregman to Chapman. Um, hmm. and, and just, and only to save, like I said, $10 million this year and theoretical money in the future. You know, I, I think you'd have to have a better plan B lined up than that. It would have to be something like, well, we're just going to go find a better cost controlled third baseman elsewhere. And if that's the case, I mean, that that's kind of the thing. It's like, who would you find out there? I mean, I'm, I'm just going to pull up, um, you know, the the uh, the batting stats leaders for third baseman last season just to see, like, if there's anyone there who really makes any sense. Is like, would theoretically be available, but you know, Brian Hayes, I, 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 that's that's a big that's a big downgrade. Um, like, I mean, despite just, just go by, going by WRC plus among, uh, is this? this? is a pretty qualified hitters. Um, among hitters, among third basemen with 400 or more plate appearances last year, Bregman finished fourth with a 124 WRC plus the only three guys ahead of him by that metric, Jose Ramirez, Isaac Paredes, Austin Riley. I'm pretty sure that you would go on a four state killing spree if the Braves traded Austin Riley to the Astros, regardless yep. of what they got back in exchange. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ramirez is very much at this point a guardian for life. He signed that big contract to stay in Cleveland. I imagine he has zero interest in leaving anytime soon. And Parades... would that shock
1: you if he left? Like, if he got traded? At this no, I mean,
2: would it shock me shocked. if the Guardians did something cheap? Absolutely yeah. not. But yeah, I also... Like... I would have had an easier time seeing that if they hadn't already given Ramirez all that money in the first place, unless they are now looking around and going, crap, 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 we don't have any money left anymore. Yeah. Um. And Parades, I mean, that that dude, I... There's something weird going on with Isaac Paredes and his hitting, where it's like I don't think you can realistically expect that he's going to be, you know, neck and neck with Alex Bregman production-wise. Beyond that, and this this is one I think you want to you want to get spicy with a trade idea. the The Astros trade Bregman, and then go get Raphael Devers from the Red Sox. I don't think they would do that though, because Devers is a bad defensive third baseman and is probably not going to get really any better than where he's at. But hey, that's an idea, right? Um. Yeah, I just I have a really hard time seeing a deal that makes sense. The only other thing if you want to get even sillier and spicier is, you know, uh, the Astros call call St. Louis and say, "Hey, Bregman for Arenado straight up." I don't know that that deal makes any sense for either side, but that's the only other kind of thing I could see is that you're getting back a veteran performer who you especially you can count on defensively at third base, which is so important cuz Bregman is a phenomenal defender at third base. Um yeah, that, I, I just, boba Bichette.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: No, I'm, I don't see why the Blue Jays do that because it just moves tomorrow's problems today. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't really, it also, it, you know, fine, it closes up the whole day of a third base. Okay, well, now you get a whole new one at shortstop and zero yeah. options on the free. Like the easiest thing for the Blue Jays to do to get better at third base is just re-sign Matt Chapman, which coincidentally mm. enough, Matt Chapman is still on the free agent market. They should probably just go do that. Um yeah. Yeah, I, I I can't really see a Bregman deal that makes sense unless Houston has another one lined up to get a Matt Olson type in yeah. exchange a younger, uh, long a younger cost control player who also might be more amenable to signing a a, a cheaper deal than the one Bregman is going to be looking out for is in free agency. I I just don't see the guy that that you know maybe if they make a a big trade for like a top third base prospect like um. I don't know. We look at our top, we look at the new Fangraphs top 100 for 2024, which I've, you know, I know I already mentioned it, but if you have not uh, checked it out yet, that went live today, the 15th Mm -hmm. of February. Uh, Go check out the top 100. Eric Longenhagen and Tess Taruskin put it together. They put so much work into it. It's really great this year. A lot of really good information. Anyway, I think, you know, here's I uh, i don't know this i don't this one makes sense for the reds though, it would be like no like flip Noelve Marte Marte as a package for bregman but that doesn't that makes like no real sense for for really for either team hmm. um you know similarly like no i i i just have a hard time I, again i just I'm trying to cobble something together randomly but i just i have a hard time seeing it unfortunately
1: i do too i just think you have to do your due diligence because it it's a blow. You can't, you have to be careful with stuff like this because obviously like you don't want to piss off the fan base and everything else. But also I think there'd be a portion that would understand if Bregman is going to not be in the picture in 2025 that you want to get something for him, but you also are wanting, wanting to win a title. So it's just, I think it's a sneaky, complicated situation for, uh, uh, for Brown and in, uh, in Houston. So we'll see ultimately what happens there, but uh, very yeah, curious.
2: I, I, I would put, I would put, I would, you'd like confidently put money that Bregman will play the entire season in Houston. I do too, but we also
1: dealing. wouldn't you say confidently he's not back next year?
2: Yeah, I, I, I doubt he's back next year. Which,
1: yeah, I mean, I, I won't say. But if you win at title, I guess it doesn't matter, right? Like, then if you win a World Series
2: this year, you feel you, you're like, oh, who cares? We want another one. I, I think if the if the Astros win a World Series next year or this season, rather, I think that definitively means Bregman does not come back. Mm-hmm. I think there's far less pressure to do that if you're the Astros. Yeah. If you've just won a world series, I think the only thing you worry about if you are the Astros is, okay, well, who's the third baseman next year? Because the Astros have one of the lower ranked farm systems in the majors. Uh, you look again, I'm going to keep plugging it. The, the ask the top one, the 2024 top 100 uh, no Astros made the list. Yeah. Like they don't, they do not have a top 100 prospect uh, by our, or by hour. I'm going to do that forever. They do not have a top 100 prospect according to Fangraph's list. I doubt that there's any real difference in the BP top 100 and the BA top 100. This is not a particularly deep farm system right now. This is not a farm system that has a Bregman replacement ready to go. Uh, they're going to have to get creative to figure out a, a solution there next offseason because it's either pay Bregman a ton of money or you are going to have to try to find that young, cost controlled third baseman somewhere and you're going to take a big hit prospect wise. To say nothing of if you give Bregman that money, well, what does that mean for Kyle Tucker going forward? You know, that's the other bat that you really, really want to lock up long term. So, you know, it 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 is going to be a conundrum for Dana Brown. But I, I I don't see I don't think a trade is going to be the way that they they choose to solve that.
1: Final thing here before we go, John. Um, as we do some preview series stuff, um, I thought this would be this would be cool to ask and see if we'll be right clairvoyant, John Taylor, uh, later this year. The best closer. In the NL this year, will end up being who?
2: Best closer in the NL is oh, that's a good one. Edwin Diaz. Bounce back year. Yeah, I think so long as the knee is healthy, and we've heard nothing to, to suggest that it. it's not. I mean, Diaz has the best stuff of any closer. He is, mm. you know, the seat. The last healthy season he had was dominant beyond measure. Um, he's not going to get that many opportunities to a certain degree because this Mets team is probably trending to be a 500 club at best. But on the it's other hand, pretty good in terms of I, I don't know they'll be around. It's not like they it's a national situation. No, no, this is this isn't like he's going to be uh, the the best relief pitcher on a ninety or on a on a ninety two loss team or something. Yeah, um, he might, but you know the other thing is the Mets offense is not that high scoring. The pitching staff is good enough, I think, to keep teams uh, in a low scoring environment. So you know he'll probably get plenty of opportunities. But I I think yeah I think it's Diaz. Otherwise. That's tricky. I think his brother Alexis in Cincinnati is another good would be another good pick there. I really like Alexis Diaz. He's got phenomenal stuff. Uh, Camilo Duval is probably part of that conversation, although his control can be a little his control and command can be a little uh, come and go, and I think that might be a problem for him. Um, yeah, I think those three, and if you want a dark horse, Paul Seawald in Arizona, Okay. I got overlooked, I think, a bit in Seattle, but has you know really great stuff. Gets a ton of strikeouts. Uh, also going to be part of a team that is a bit of a low-scoring team, so he's going to get plenty of opportunities. I think those four are pro- someone one out of those four, and my, with most of that money going or most of the money in that bet going toward Edwin Diaz. What about you, though?
1: Edwin Diaz is That's a good one. Stop. I mean, stop. <laughs> i had to move my dog out uh after the last uh she wanted to be in here and then there's a lot of crying, was, crying right now and i don't get a lot get of it. crying a lot of it. crying a lot of attention wanting uh from the good dogs um but um i think iglesias is gonna rack up the good. i think he's like i it sounds like a hummer pick but i i would buy a lot of stock in Hill iglesias this year i, I mean he's if, gonna, if-
2: if you want to look at it purely from a fantasy baseball perspective, which I know yeah. we're not, but just you know, that's definitely the dude you would want to have a roster out of that. Uh, yeah, out of that group, like he's going to get the most save opportunities by far out of that, out mm-hmm. of that group. Um, but yeah, I I think I'd go. I think I'm going to go with Edwin Diaz. I you okay. know, the, the stuff is just so good. Like yeah. you know, even when he's off, he's still like one of the hardest pitchers to hit in baseball. if not even harder to hit when his stuff is off. So um, that that's my vote.
1: It'd be a great story, like Edwin Diaz bouncing back and uh, immediately being one of, uh, one of the best. Um, Seawald's are probably the most interesting. Um, I don't know, like,
2: you buying Justin Lawrence? <laughs> I think it's cute that the Rockies are allowed to have a closer. That's just nice for them. It, it's nice that, we, <laughs> that we're pretending like they're a real team that has real, real goals, like winning.
1: I would love a I would watch a Netflix like season documentary of Justin Lawrence, like I like a 20 minute just check in on how his week's going like a just, hey, I know you haven't been used all week. How's it been going? What have you been doing in the in the bullpen, knowing that you're not coming out for a save opportunity? Like what do you like? I would I would watch that. Like, uh, it'd be great.
2: Yeah, I like just imagine like how much dead time he's going to have just sitting yes. out in that bullpen, like staring out through the bullpen gates at like. Mm-hmm. It's like a 10 to 2 game just being like why am i here like why am i why am i here today why did i come to the ballpark yeah what's what's the point one of those dudes where every time he blows a save you know he feels it that much more because he's like man i only get like 20 of these opportunities a year
1: and it hurts more man it hurts it really
2: does all right
1: well that's all i've got this week john taylor but thank you as always, my good sir, and uh, go check out Fangraphs.com. We're still pro Fangraphs and um, projections and top 100 prospects. Drew Gilbert has a smoking hot graph in that uh, in that uh, top 100 prospect ranking, as you and I have texted about. Where I'm like, it's just going to be really hard for me. I'm the Larry David uh, gif in in real yeah, life.
2: Ha- having having to root against Drew Gilbert is going to be an experience for you, and I I, I doubt you won't gonna- do it.
1: I won't do it he's just uh Drew Gilbert is an absolute delight I can't do it no matter what even if he's batting in a crucial spot against the Braves in an NLDS matchup I still won't I don't think I'll be able to do it I, no you're, just, you've got
2: to you, you got to stick with your guys vols forever
1: yeah I mean just an all-time great ball just uh an absolute delight uh John Taylor always a pleasure and I'll talk to you next week oh not next Good. week two weeks
2: two weeks because John's going
1: right. away <clears throat> yes,
2: i so, will be i will be busy doing fun stuff that isn't talking about baseball which is well that's also fun stuff but i'll be doing I other different say, damn stuff. like oh, all right i know that, that came out that came out rude damn. Was it supposed to all right john taylor Maybe yeah. the last time john taylor. <laughs> uh always a pleasure and i'll talk to you in two weeks no.
0: nicely done nephew chase thomas podcast hell yeah